0: teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So let's sing together, tell out my soul. Eternal God and Father, by whose word we are created, and by whose love we are redeemed, give us power to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ, that we may be filled to the measure of all his fullness. In his name we pray, Amen. Please be seated. It's so good to see you all here this morning. Welcome to St Matthew's, especially to guests who are amongst us. Uh, We love having guests with us and we love having people online as well. So hello to you as well this morning. Uh, For our guests, my name's Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here. We love having uh, you with us today. We hope that straight after the service, you might be able to join us for morning tea that we serve across the courtyard in our function room. So much to look forward to this morning as we gather as God's people. Just coming together is something worth celebrating, isn't it? The way that God has made us his people and brought us into his family. We're brothers and sisters together. Uh, As we continue the journey that we've been on this term through the book of Proverbs, today we'll be probing God's wisdom in the book of Proverbs about alcohol. Uh, The scriptures make it clear that alcohol is a good gift of God, but we're aware as we look around and maybe in our own experience how alcohol can be misused uh, with tragic consequences. So I'm really looking forward to Peter Kerr opening up the scriptures for us on this vital uh, subject of alcohol, its use and its abuse in our society and even in our lives. We're also looking forward to sharing together in the Lord's Supper a little, su- uh, a little later in the service. But before we pray, I'll just pass on a word of, uh, of personal thanks. Uh, Rhonda and I were on holidays recently in Queensland And we brought back some some nasty colds with us. And uh, some of you are aware that Rhonda's has developed into pneumonia. Now we've managed to catch it nice and early. So she saw a doctor on Monday and was responding very well to antibiotics uh, by Wednesday, but she'll need lots of rest. What's been lovely this week has been the expressions of concern and care. Uh, we've been overwhelmed by good wishes and by meals. We don't need any more food, okay? (laughs) In part I share it with you just to pass on our thanks to you for your care and concern for us during a challenging time for Rhonda in particular. She really is well and truly on the mend. You could pray that she'll rest properly. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Uh, As we pray we'll begin uh, with a prayer of confession uh, and then we're going to read together from Psalm 103 which is a beautiful psalm to read after we've confessed our sins. It's so reassuring for us to know the, the love God has for those who fear him and the extraordinary lengths he's gone to to make sure that our sins have been distanced from us as far as the east is from the west. But let's turn to God himself in this confession of our sin. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have often gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And Let's read Psalm 103 together. Praise the Lord, O my soul, All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, And his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, all his work, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Amen. I'm going to lead us in further prayer. Lord God, we do praise you as the one who rules over all. And we turn to you now in prayer as the God who has compassion on your children. And we pray for the people who've been impacted by the fires in Hawaii, particularly the residents of the island of Maui. Lord, we pray for them as they mourn those who have died and grieve for all that they have lost. Bring comfort to them and may practical aid and assistance be swift in providing day-to-day necessities. We pray, Lord, that the people of Hawaii will be moved by your spirit to turn to you for the strength and comfort that they can only find in you. And as we pray today, Father, we give thanks for the missionary partners that we work together with around the world. And this morning we bring before you Marty and Jenny Ford in the roles that they have at the Evangelical Theological College of Asia in Singapore. We thank you for the recent Pastors Conference where really good reports have come about how well it went and for the many young people that were there who showed such eagerness to use their lives in the service of Christ. And at the college itself, we pray for students both new and returning who sacrifice much to serve you. Lord, as the college continues, we pray that you'll be growing students at the college in their faith and you'll be equipping them to serve you effectively and faithfully during their time at college and well beyond. We pray for the faculty of the college that you'll give them the wisdom, the energy, the patience, the grace, the unity that is fitting for a college such as this. And for Marty in particular, as he leads the college as the principal, we ask that you give him wisdom as he works together with others to make plans for how they can build the college under you for the future. And we do thank you for our church family. And today we want to give you thanks for the, the way that you've made each of us for relationship with you and with each other. And we thank you for the gift of marriage, mindful especially of the marriage yesterday of Abby Donaldson and Stu, Stuart Robinson from our night congregation. We pray that they will be making a really great start to a lifelong marriage. And we pray for your protection over all marriages in our church asking that they would reflect the love you have for us, that they would bring glory to you and that they'd be a great blessing to others. And within our own congregation here at 8am, we continue to pray for those who've been regular members but are no longer able to come along on Sundays while either in full-time residential care or at home. And we mention in particular, Robert and Ruth Ross, Eddie South, Helen Nunn, Liz Gillam, Norma Odlin, Pauline Hardy, Ian and Jeannie Johnson. We pray especially this week for Jen and Russ Maddox as Jen recovers in hospital from knee surgery and for your guidance as the family work together with them to make arrangements for their ongoing care. Lord, we thank you for each of these brothers and sisters that we are praying for today for the care they can receive from their loving families, from medical professionals and others that care for them. In the difficulties they're living with and the isolation that features for some of them, would you be their ever-present comfort and strength? Lord, we thank you that we can bring our prayers large and small before you. May we keep turning to you this week, seeking to do your will and playing the part that you've prepared for us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We've now got some church news on the screen.
1: G'day, g'day. Pete here and I'm glad you are here. And if you are here, welcome. It's good to have you. Just a couple of things going on here at St Matthew's. Firstly, Monday week 28th of August, we're getting stuck into our onboard course. What is it? Well, if you are new to church, maybe you're on the fringe of church, well, we really want you to feel part of the church, like this is your home where you can be loved, looked after, invested in, but also where you can invest into others. So if you're up for it, get along to our onboard course. You'll hear a, a bit about the church, meet some of the staff, meet some of the other folks who call St. Matthew's home. So when is it? Monday the 28th, uh, that's Monday week, 7.30pm, level one of the DSB. So that's the building next door. And uh, right in front of you is a connection card. So feel free to grab that, scan it, and let us know that you're keen. You can also use this card uh, to connect with us in other ways. Let us know what you need, how we can be helpful for you, or just uh, pop up the back to our new welcome desk. It's the desk that uh, looks like a desk in an airport. So spin around if you want to. Have a look if you haven't seen it. It's right near the back door. Now, don't go up there hoping to book flights, but do go up there hoping to book yourself into some things that we've got going on here at the church or just to meet someone and say g'day. Uh, Go do that. That'd be great. Uh, Final thing from us, Base Camp Men's Conference was last weekend. It was an epic time away for 28 of us men uh, from the church. We loved it. We'd love for you to join us next year, but for now, let's hear from someone who did join us this year mark liddell tell us brother what was it about base camp 2023 that fired you up
0: it was the roast dinner by the fire it was the amazing sound of hearing all these men praising god it was the wonderful teaching that was so practical it was the beer at the pub afterwards being able to reflect on all these great things that we heard it was the delicious scrambled eggs and coffee in the morning it was more great teaching that was meaningful, that was helping us to know how are we following Jesus? How can we build his church more? How can we do a better job as fathers, as husbands? I can't recommend Base Camp enough. And I look forward to seeing you there in 2024.
1: So, you heard it. Uh, We would love to have you next year. So, pull out your diaries, pop it in. Next year, we'd love to have you with Basecamp with us. For now, God bless. Have a good day.
0: Well, it sounds like it was fantastic. Uh, Back on On Board, I reckon if you gave up an hour and a half on Monday week to come along to On Board, uh, we've been welcoming so many new people to St Matthew's over the last year or so, but an hour and a half there, I reckon we'll, you, you'll hear things that it would have taken you a year or two to work out just in that little time, so really a helpful way of becoming more and more a part of uh, what we're doing here. We're going to sing together, so would you please stand as our musicians come to lead us in what will be our collection here.
2: Two, two readings this morning. The first is uh, from Proverbs uh, chapter 23, verses 29 to 35. And on page 65, 652 of the Church Bibles, if you'd like to read along, give you a moment to, to find that. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who gaze to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake, it poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Okay, the next reading is from John 4, verse 4 uh, chapter 4, verses 5 to 30. And that's on page 1065. So again, just give you some time to, to find that. I'll scroll through on your devices. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you shall worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For Salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in in the Spirit and in the truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him.
1: Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. It's good to be in church. Good to be in church. It's good to hear from God's word, of course, and it's good to, good to pray. Uh, Andrew has done that, so we're going to get right to work. And um, page 652 is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. And I had the John reading in there for reasons I hope will become evident as we go along. So, page 652, that's where the authority's coming from, not from me. So, I wanted to start with a story as we do. So, my Auntie Anne, God rest her, my Auntie Anne, she could. She could throw a party. I mean, some people are good. She was great. She really was. And every New Year's Eve, all of the family, so all of my family, we'd head down to Browley on the south coast, if you know it. And it was, like, it was a bit like a Serengeti migration, but of curs. And we'd all head down south, and they were wonderful memories, they really were. So fancy dress was a must. It was a must. A cricket set, absolutely crucial. An inflatable ring for the boats. we needed to have that. A kilo of prawns, absolutely. And always some kind of mayonnaise dip that nobody ever really ate. Anyway, so these were the basic staples of our stay when we'd go away. And here's a photo of my family at one of Auntie Anne's parties. And you can see that my dad really got into the fancy dress thing there with his acuba on. (laughs) Now, my youngest sister is missing from this photo. But you know what isn't missing from this photo and what, what, what was never missing is the six-pack. You see mum holding it there? I mean, my mum didn't even drink beer, and, and yet it would have been unthinkable to turn up to one of Arnie Ann's parties without booze. This was just normal. And it was just as normal to have an esky around, not just at these parties, but at every single barbecue we ever went to as kids, I remember going through the esky looking for a can of Coke and I'd need to move the stubbies aside or the champagne digging through the ice. Alcohol, like my siblings, was just always around. It was just always part of my world. And I think that's true for most Aussies at at varying levels because alcohol is just so ingrained in life here in Australia. It really is. And some of us grew up with alcohol at home, some of us didn't. Some of us are big big drinkers, some of us are binge drinkers. Some of us drink a little bit, some of us loathe drinking. Some of us are social drinkers, some of us might be high-functioning habitual drinkers. We're all different, we're all different, and we all fall on the spectrum somewhere, but I do think we fall on the spectrum of experience with alcohol somewhere because walking through our culture here in Australia is like walking across the sand with wet feet. Bits of it just stick to you. And alcohol is everywhere, so naturally it will just stick to you in some way. I really believe that. And it can be an issue as it's clearly an issue for the poor person in this proverb. This is a sad story. It's an alcohol dependency story that's perhaps far removed from our stories. Or at least that's what we tell ourselves. You see, in my 42 years, I think sometimes the greatest problem with alcohol is that we don't think it's a problem for us. Culturally, we open a bottle of vino in the afternoon as mindlessly as we open a bottle of uh, box of cornflakes in the morning or a bottle of milk. When something is so normalised, it's, it's just harder to track how we're going with it. But God knows how you're going with it. He really does, and he loves you. And, and he might speak to you, as he's been speaking to me this week. And he might speak to you with this beautiful ancient wisdom that speaks into a modern issue that's always been an issue. Because, and this is a wonderful thing because we need wisdom on this one, on alcohol. And so as I reflected on Proverbs 23, two things stood out to me because they resonated with me personally and I think they're in the text there firstly, alcohol can be very attractive and for a plethora of reasons very attractive but it can also be very destructive there is an ugly side to alcohol firstly though, I just want to work through the text to get to this so bear with me, verse 30 it's interesting in verse 30 hopefully that's big enough for you to see It's interesting, what's interesting to me is human behavior. Human behavior is interesting, and what's interesting in verse 30 is this word linger that I've highlighted there in bold. You see, this person in this proverb has all these horrible things going on for them, verse 29, and the person who has all these horrible things going on for them is the person in verse 30 who lingers over wine and samples, notice the plural there, bowls, of mixed wine. You see, as I was reading this passage, I thought it's not alcohol that's being condemned here. It's the lingering. It's the human activity of lingering. Because wine, as many of us will know, is a blessing from the Lord. Psalm 104, it's a great psalm. So God, he makes wine to gladden the heart. John Calvin actually commenting on this verse, he says, humans, so we we would have been perfectly okay with water he said, but because God is so extravagant, he has given us things like wine to enjoy. But there can be a line between enjoyment and overindulgence. Lingering means the line has been crossed. Bowls. This is not a few beers watching the footy. This is not having a glass of wine with dinner. That's not what he's talking about. This is someone still sitting around the table, hours after dinner has finished, polishing off a third bottle. Or this is someone who makes an early start in the afternoon and is pretty buzzed by the time it's, when it's time to make dinner for the kids. My my, uh, Scottish family would say, lingering means getting sourced, is the word that they would use. Sourced means getting drunk. In Ephesians 5 we're told, God's people are told, don't get drunk on wine. But instead, you know it, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And drunk, as Paul is describing it, this idea of drunk, it carries this idea of being immersed. So soaking. So if you think about wringing out a shirt, you know you get a wet shirt and you go and you wring it out. It's the same idea here, but wringing out a person, and they drip alcohol because they've got a skin full. That's, that's the idea. So that's lingering, but what I want to know is why. I want to know why people linger, why one or two is not enough. What, what is it that drives a person, motivates a person to linger? And I never wanted to grapple with this question, but I, I have been forced to grapple with this question because when you love a person and you see a person making bad decisions you are forced to grapple with it you are forced to try and make sense of why they're doing what they're doing love just won't let you write them off you have to try and grapple with it so what is so attractive about alcohol and i think i think the answer is multi-layered it's not simple i think it's multi-layered and i think it's complex but if we go back to the text i think Verse 31 starts to answer the question of why it's so attractive. So you'll see there, Solomon says to his kid, that's the picture we have, do not gaze at wine when it's red, son, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. So if we just move ourselves back to the original context and how this information is being conveyed, you could think about it like Solomon is with his kid and he's having this conversation about alcohol because dad has been around pubs, he's been to weddings, he knows how it goes on the grog and he knows that there can be an allure to wine that's almost sexual, is the way that this language is portrayed. There is a sensory attractiveness and being one of God's good gifts, I'm not surprised by that. If you've ever and I'm sure many of you have, if you've ever decanted a good wine, introduced oxygen, right? the smell, the sights, the velvet viscosity of a good drop, a deep Shiraz paired with a, a Gippsland Scotch fillet can be a sensory joy, like the um, scent of a flower is to a bee, it can really draw you in. But what draws us in can be more profound than sensory. Now, that's a thing, but I think what Solomon is getting at is deeper than this. It can be sensory, but it's more deeply psychological. And I think the text gives us some hints. You see, in verse 35, this person, as I said, this is a sad story, this person cops a beating. Now, that's probably because of something silly they've said while they're drinking. That's the image but the alcohol has had a physiological numbing effect. They beat me, but I didn't feel it. Now, when you're numb, you, you, don't, you don't feel, and sometimes that's exactly what people want. Sometimes people don't want to confront uh, their trauma again. Some, and, and maybe that's what's happening here. And perhaps this is what's happened for you or someone you love. And I just wonder whether this isn't why this, this person just keeps coming back in verse 35. I just don't want to confront that again today. And then they get into this cycle of alcohol dependency. You see, alcohol is easy. It's accessible. It's socially acceptable. It's, you don't need a script to go to the bottle shop It can be an attractive way to self-medicate. And I get it. Friend, I really get it. Some people drink to celebrate. Some people drink to socialise. They drink to celebrate. Some people drink to alleviate. Numb. Alcohol can take the edge off social anxiety. You ever heard of Dutch courage? Alcohol can also mark this transition. I was talking to someone this week about it. Can also mark this transition point from work to relaxation. This is the classic unwind time. Now, my nan, uh, Barbara, God rest her, her, um, her favourite part of the day was what she called drinky poos. Does anybody call drinky poos? Is that, ju- yeah. So, what she do, a few jats, a little bit of cheese, maybe some salami if she was feeling adventurous. And, um, and then she'd flick on the bold and the beautiful, and at the same time, she'd flick the lid off a bottle of wine. Every day. Easy. Every day. Now, I don't say that to judge her. I just say that because that was a thing for her. Now, I've worked on many mindsets in my time, in my professional life, and the work is hard. The work is hot. Getting protein is never an issue because you swallow so many flies. <laughs> you really do. But getting alcohol is a major issue. It, getting alcohol is a daily issue because that's just what you do after work with the lads. Now, I wanted to put on this ad campaign. Apologies, it's quite small, but I think you get the idea. Check out the ad campaign. Oh, there's a picture in there in the mind.
3: How does it happen? You're
0: coaching the crew
3: or printing the new or straining till you thought you would burst. You sure got a thirst. A hard earned thirst needs a big cold beer. And the best cold beer is Vic. A long cold Vic. It can come at any time. You're taking a bow or feeding a cow. Matter of fact, I got it now. Victoria Bitter.
1: I saw that, I actually saw that on the footy last night as well, not, not that actual ad, but uh, the, the mantra. A hard-earned thirst needs a big cold beer. And it's drinking by association, right? And At the target market, we slotted right into that. End of the day, watching the footy, the cricket, marking some occasion. It's very, very clever. Very clever. And it works. Alcohol can be attractive for many, many reasons, and it's not always an issue. But the question God's people have to wrestle with is, when does it become an issue? I think it becomes an issue when the alcohol campaign is more attractive than the Jesus campaign. When alcohol becomes the healer of our hurts, when alcohol becomes the antidote to our anxieties, the the cure for our deepest cravings, sometimes our only joy in what feels like a joyless life, when it's it's a better saviour than the saviour is the point, then it's an issue. When craft beer is more, more enjoyable than King Jesus because Jesus wants to be all these things for us. He wants to be our refuge when life is rubbish. He wants to be the cure of our deepest cravings, which is why I had the John 4 reading in there. A hard-earned thirst doesn't need a bloke, it doesn't need a beer, a hard-earned thirst needs Jesus. Our deepest longings need a top-up of living water. Jesus makes it very spiritual at that level. He sees the physical, he makes it very spiritual what's going on for that lady. Now, it's okay to enjoy God's good gifts. It's when we flip it that things start to become an issue. Alcohol can be very attractive, but it can also be very destructive. And I think we see that quite clearly in verse 31. Again, Solomon talking to the the kid, "'Do not gaze at wine when it is red, "'when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down, smooth. "'In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper.'" Now that's an image. Alcohol can be a blessing, or, but it can
3: bite.
1: You know, after the 2019 bushfires, I uh, went down south to a little place called Depot Beach. Is anybody familiar with Depot Beach? Hey, come on. South Coast, wonderful, wonderful place. Uh, don't go there though, because it's nice and quiet. It? It's like a second home to me. I know this bush uh, better than I know my backyard here. And here's a photo of the fires. This is from North Doris, actually. And the fires are out on the point. Just over that hill, my grandfather built a house in the late 60s. And after the fires, I drove down and I just went for a walk in, in that bush, actually. And I was shocked. I was shocked not only by the sights, but the silence not one bird, no parrots, no magpies, no honey eaters, nothing, no kangaroos, no lizards scurrying away. There was just nothing. Trees that have stood for generations were charred beyond recognition, as in they'll never grow back. That's how ferocious that fire was. Now, when I walked, I started to think. And I started to think about my brother's life, who you saw in the previous photo. And what I started to think is how the landscape of his life has changed. How it is charred now, almost beyond recognition. This guy that I played cricket with in my backyard for 17 years, almost unrecognizable. And that's what can happen in a life when alcohol takes hold. Friendships, relationships, marriages left charred, smouldering. And I can tell you, you can feel just like the bloke in this photo. Sometimes you just feel like all you can do is just watch on as somebody's life just gets ripped apart. And maybe you think I'm being dramatic, but you won't think I'm being dramatic if you've lived it or if you've seen it, if you have ever known someone or perhaps even you, if you've ever had to hide in a cupboard or if you've ever had to take the kids somewhere safe because of an alcohol-fuelled rampage, you won't think I'm being dramatic. If you work as a GP or a nurse or a social worker, a counsellor, psychologist, support worker in an ED department, you won't think I'm being dramatic. Alcohol can bite like a snake. It can, and it does. And it can creep up on you in the long grass of your well-functioning life. And you don't even realise it's a problem until the fangs have sunk in. To quote an old Irish saying, which goes along with this uh, sculpture, first the man takes the drink, and then the drink takes the man. And I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen alcohol affect decision-making. Like the guy in this proverb, you see verse 34 down the bottom there, you will be like, if you drink, you will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. You can make really silly decisions when you drink, you can, we all know it. Dangerous decisions while you're drinking, sleeping up the top of a mast would be right up there. Uh, Or getting behind the wheel of a car. It blew me away this week to learn that 20% of road fatalities in New South Wales are a direct result of alcohol. And you know what? 90% of them are blokes. Bad decisions. In Proverbs 31, we read, It is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed. And pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Now, why does God tell us this? Because alcohol affects the brain. Some historians I was reading this week actually put Julius Caesar... I read a bunch of his stuff. Julius Caesar's strategic mastery... They put his strategic mastery down to his moderate drinking. Very low amounts of drinking... What about Proverbs 20? This is one most of us will know. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. Whoever whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Now, it's true that you are more likely to see a punch-up in a pub than you are in the pews of a church. Right? Why is that? Well, because here we tend to worship, not drink whiskey. Alcohol affects the brain. It is a thing. How many Christmas dinners have been ruined because someone couldn't hold their tongue? Alcohol can bite physically too. I don't know if you noticed at the start of the reading, verse 29 in Proverbs, that alcohol alcohol leaves this person with bloodshot eyes, dries out the eyes, pillories in the eyes, blood in them. It can hurt the body. Winston Churchill, I've also read a bunch of his stuff, Winston Churchill, he loved a whiskey and a cigar, loved it. Every photo of him. But this is what he admitted. He said, more people die from whiskey than bullets. But people would rather be full of whiskey than bullets. That's what he says. All right, so it's funny, but he's onto something there. More people die. High blood pressure. New South Wales Health, I just checked it out this week. High blood pressure, liver damage, ulcers, cancers, memory loss, premature ageing. You know, 50% of hospitalizations in New South Wales are due to alcohol. That's a big number and a big strain on the health system. Mental health issues. You might have noticed in the reading, this guy has woe, sorrow. And I don't, know if that's, you know, I don't think that's surprising when we know alcohol is a depressant and can exacerbate anxieties, just like it can deplete our bank accounts. And there's many proverbs on that. But we'll move forward. So, we know alcohol is attractive, we know it can be destructive, so how do we move forward as God's people? We always, we believe that when we, when we hear from God's word that he does business in our hearts and that our lives can change to the glory of God. So, how do we move forward? Bottom line, I think, I really think that God wants us to enjoy life and to thrive, He's not the divine party pooper. He wants his people to thrive. And he wants us to thrive physically? Absolutely. He wants us to thrive emotionally? Absolutely. He wants us to thrive relationally? He wants us to thrive spiritually. I think there are four key areas. And so here's the question we've got to, got to ask, the thing we have to think about. If we open the door to anything that could be detrimental to that, we need to be wise. And so what does wise look like with alcohol? Well, for some, wise looks like keeping the door closed. As in, if you've got an addictive personality, it might just be wise to treat alcohol like you'd treat asbestos. As in, don't even go near the stuff. Wrap it up, rope it up, leave it outside, whatever you need to do. If it causes you to sin, cut it off. That's for some, but for everyone, I think wise looks like honest interrogation daily. You know, someone asked me this week, how much can I drink? Like, so where's the line? You you tell me it's a blessing, you tell me it's attractive, all this other stuff, where's the line? How much can I drink? Now, we ask that because we want to nudge the line, really, but it's a fair question. It is a fair question, but I don't think it's the question. It's not the first question, because there's a better question that we need to ask before that. And the question is quite simple. What does God want for my life today? Very simple question. And you can tattoo this on your arm if it helps. What does God want for my life today? And what he wants for your life today is what he wants for it every day. Again, very simple, that you would first love him with all your heart, it's mind, soul, strength. Secondly, that you would love your neighbour, Matthew 22. And so the question, if, that's the, if those are the two things that God wants for my life today, I'm going to bring glory to him through those two things, is there anything I'm going to do today that is going to inhibit me doing those two things? Alcohol might. It might. And so, now I need to get really specific in terms of my thinking. If I'm going to love God with all my heart today, before I have a drink, I need to consider, am I drinking on an empty soul? Am I drinking on an empty soul? Because what I mean by that is if I'm drinking from the bottle, but I'm not drinking from the Bible, I might be looking to fill up or find an answering grog and not God, that might be a thing. So before we drink, we must daily fill ourselves with Jesus, as in His the wonderful things like His promises to carry your fears, like nothing else can, to carry your burdens, to carry your pain to swallow this daily truth that he has dealt with your sin and your guilt and your shame. So you don't have to hide from it in anything. We've got to, as his people, absorb the truth in our souls that he sees you as you are. He knows you as you are, and he loves you as you are. And he knows what you've been through. And he accepts you unconditionally and absolutely. Worship before whiskey. Prayer and praise before Pinot Grigio, whatever you want to, you know. Do that first and you'll guard yourself from looking to alcohol for answers. Fill up. Love God with all your heart. Spiritually thrive. Am I drinking on an empty soul? The second thing I have there is, is loving others a daily goal? This is the love the neighbour part. The person in our proverb, you might have seen, has one trajectory in life. Did you see it in verse 35? Just get me another drink. That's the cycle. And it makes it very hard to be other person-centered and to prioritize family, kids, commitments to bosses, financial commitments, and just to be generally loving and serving others. It makes it very hard to do that sometimes if we're drinking. And so, if alcohol is getting in the way of loving others, it is something we need to rethink. If we know someone at the table who struggles with alcohol, one way to love our neighbour is to water an orange juice, for example. If you're wondering if alcohol is an issue for you, and I'm going to wrap up very, very soon, just have a crack at these questions. I thought they were worthwhile, and I, and I, I gleaned them from a psychologist. Questions we can ask ourselves in addition to those two things. Do you regret what you do when you're drinking? Is it getting in the way of other important goals? Is it causing financial stress? Do you find yourself in trouble with family and friends, maybe even the police? It, what are people saying to me? What's my body telling me? What's my conscience telling me? You know, if you're trying to be subtle when emptying the recycling bin, what's that about? interrogate yourself friend but don't destroy yourself be honest but don't be harsh we'll have um you know if we've got some resources please come and have a talk to me i've got a few numbers uh, that i'd love to give to you and we might even put them on the screen throughout the day or just have a chat with someone and i just wanted to finish with this there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus none it is done now, he might convict, but he doesn't condemn. If he convicts, praise God, the Holy Spirit is shining a torch somewhere in your life. Praise, him, praise God for that. He's at work. He might convict, but he doesn't condemn. You are known, you are loved, valuable, help is available, all that good stuff. And God is always available through prayer. So why don't we do that now? And then we're going to sing our third hymn. Let, let me just pray Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this world that you have made and for these good gifts that you have given us. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom. When we think about alcohol, when we engage with alcohol, when we're around people and alcohol, I pray, Lord, that you'd give us wisdom. Help us to think about how we're going and to be honest, but also to know that there is no condemnation, that we can come to you in repentance and find help, not just with you, but with people that are around us. So Father, I pray moving forward, as we think about our day, that each one of us would think, how can I love you today? How can I love God with all my heart? And how can I love my neighbor? And I pray Lord, that if alcohol is getting in the way of those two things, you might give us the courage and the wisdom perhaps to say no. And Father, we pray these things knowing that you hear us, you love us, and we can do in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Please, if you'd like to, we're going to stand and we're going to sing our final hymn together.
0: Please be seated. Uh, We're going to share together now in the Lord's Supper. And you'll need one of these little communion packs. If you don't have one, please raise your hand. So David certainly needs one at the front here. Great. Keep your hand up if you haven't got one yet. They're coming. And for the rest of us, let's um, let's see how dexterous we are this morning, and uh, find the clear clear cover, and take that off, and then the foil cover. It is only juice, yes. It's such a helpful thing we do uh, on a regular basis here at at St. Matthew's and at 8 o'clock church to share together in the Lord's Supper. Uh, Amongst other things it reminds us of the means by which we can be completely assured that our sins have been forgiven. Uh, It points us to where we can find the source of complete satisfaction, uh, knowing that we're loved by God, Uh, just with these little simple symbols, a a tiny little piece of bread and a little cup with some juice in it. Uh, What we're doing as we share together in the Lord's Supper is we're going back to the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. Ours is just a little ceremonial meal. In fact, in some ways, their meal was ceremonial also because it was a part of the Passover, as our Jewish people would look back on the wonderful victory that God had won for them in Egypt, when he brought them out of slavery and brought them towards the promised land. But as Jesus shared that ceremonial meal, it was a proper meal, there was lamb and there was all sorts of other good things. Instead of pointing them back to what had happened in the past, he pointed them forward to what was going to take place on the very next day when he came to give his life for them and for us for the sake of our salvation. So so this is the way it's described in the scriptures. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Then he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. So We're going to do something like that in just a few minutes. But firstly, we're going to pray this beautiful prayer of humble access. Uh, where we recognise as we pray that we can only come to God, only even imagine that we can come to God because of his great mercy shown to us in Christ. So please join me in praying together. We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your many and great mercies, We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. But you are the same Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. So let's now take that little piece of bread And let's remember the body of Christ which was given for the sake of our salvation, for our forgiveness, and be thankful. And let's take these little cups and as we remember, let's remember the blood of Christ which has established a new covenant, a covenant of forgiveness and salvation and be thankful. Let's pray this prayer of thanksgiving and of commitment. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup, Bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us in this hope that we have grasped, so we and all your children shall be free and the whole earth live to praise your name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're all but uh, done for today. Uh, That is in terms of our formal gathering, but our fellowship will continue in the function room, so please join us. And if you've spotted someone near to you who's new, invite them to come and join us. I hope, you've already had, I hope you've already been made welcome if you're new, but we'd love you to join us if you can. Would you like to stand and we'll say the words of the grace to entrust one another to God's care. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.